All right. So tonight we are diving into a section of Thessalonians that deals with sex and lust, some things that can be a bit personal, but very relevant um, in our world. It's important for Christians, and God makes a big deal of it. You may ask, though, you know, if, if I'm a Christian, if I'm saved, why does it matter how I live? You know? Saved by grace, bro. You might say that. Or you might say, why would people listen to what the Bible has to say, especially to do with sex? It's outdated. Who wants to listen to a rule book? We're going to look at tackling those questions and look at what Thessalonians says. But to give you a little teaser in advance, the answer is because we've been given a new identity, we've been given a new relationship, and we've been given a better way of living. So we're going to start with our new identity. And there's something going on in this passage that goes beyond a list of do's and don'ts of sex or Christian living. I really want you to grab hold of this, and that is sanctification. I'm going to tell you what that is very soon. Let's dig into verse 3, because this is the key to the passage. Verse 3 says, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. So it's God's will for us to be sanctified. What does sanctification mean? Because no one uses that in everyday life. So to be sanctified is to be set apart for something or for someone, to be set apart. The best illustration I've heard of this is that of a toothbrush. So at my house, I have my own toothbrush. I know, flexing a lot, I'm doing well for myself. So I've got a toothbrush, my wife has a toothbrush, and she has sanctified one toothbrush as hers. It's a really nice one, don't know where she got it from, and she's told me I can never use it. That's fair, and I've got some weird brown one made of bamboo or something, it's biodegradable, I don't know. There you go. That's my toothbrush. But she sanctified hers and she sanctified mine. So she set it apart. And that's what it is to be sanctified. God has taken you, if you're a Christian, and said, you're my person. I've sanctified you. So now you're probably thinking, great, thanks, Luke. I understand fully the word sanctified. And I'm so glad that it's only used one way in the Bible. And to that I would say, wrong plot twist. It's used in two different ways. One point to me. Um, Yeah, sorry, guys. We'll see if you can catch it up later. Um, So the Bible used sanctified in two different ways. So we've got the first way, a past completed way, and then a present ongoing way. There's two ways of sanctified. So I described already the fact that, you know, my wife sanctified a toothbrush. It's done in the past, done and dusted. It is hers. Nothing would change that. If you're a Christian, God has in the past sanctified you. And he did this at the moment you put your trust in Jesus. And you actually see in 1 Corinthians 6.11, I think it's next. Hey! So it's talking about what we used to be, but now it says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. This is talking about a past event, you were sanctified, tick, it is done. So if you're a Christian, you are no longer guilty. You're forgiven You're no longer dirty from your sin, but you're washed clean and you don't have to feel shame because God has held you up as his precious child and said, you are mine. And if you're not a Christian, this is what is on offer for you. Not just the forgiveness for living against God, but also the love as he sets you apart as his child, this new identity. So we've got the past tense sanctified, what God has done. And then we have the present tense sanctified, which is what our passage is looking at. So back to verse 3. It says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. So that word should is a 
present now, you do it currently, and following that statement is a list of ways to live. So the use of sanctified is an ongoing process in which we become more like God or more holy. That's the second part. So think about it like this, we go back to the toothbrush. So I've set apart my toothbrush as mine and I use it daily or twice daily, sometimes three times daily, depending on how much I've eaten, to clean my teeth. And that's me saying, you know, it's my toothbrush, but using it every day is different to me at the beginning saying this is my toothbrush. But one day I came home and I went to use my toothbrush, but something was very different. When I put it into my mouth, it tasted like bleach, which is not a pleasant feeling at all. Turns out Emma had decided to clean the bathroom with my toothbrush and she used it to clean the toilet and then she just instinctively put it back, which sucked. Not her toothbrush, of course. (laughs) Well, that makes no sense, but my toothbrush. Um, So how wrong is it when you use something sanctified for a purpose like cleaning your teeth and you use it for something different? God has set us aside as his own in Jesus the moment we turn from living for ourselves and we live for him. So you would expect that we then live and act in a way that's according with how we've been set aside. And that's that ongoing sanctification. Um, Yeah, so don't go back to scrubbing the toilet. That's the point there. So Christians, it matters how you live because you have been set apart by God, for God. You've been given a new identity, you belong to God and you are precious to Him. Why would we then live the same old way as we used to as the rest of the world? when we were made to be something different. And that leads us to the second thing this passage shows us about the life that God has called us into, is that we also have a new relationship. Very simple points. Little hint, I don't like making slideshows. So you get what you need, and that's it. Very good. Anyway, let's read the beginning of verse 3. I'm loving verse 3. The very first four words are, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. So why does it matter how we live? Because that's what God wants. It's His will, it's His desire for us. And you see that in verse 2 and 7. Verse 2 says, You know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. And down in 7, For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. So it's clear to see that God wants us to live a certain way, but why does God want us to live a certain way? Doesn't God just love us and forgive us and it's all sweet? And totally, in Jesus you are forgiven. Everything you've done wrong was paid for on the cross once and for all, and that's amazing. But now we live for God. We don't just have a new identity, as we saw before. We also have a new relationship with God as His child. And just like a parent would care about how their child acts, we can expect God would care. So imagine that you have like a a child who's three or four years old. You can decide their name, I don't care. So you've got a child who's three or four years old and they're at the stage of life where I think they want to do whatever they want. Everything sounds like a good idea and they know best. You wouldn't let them eat a diet of exclusively sugar and superglue. And if any of you want to do that, come talk to me after because that's not a good idea. Um, So yeah, you're not going to let them just do what they want. The loving thing is to say, no, that is really, really dumb. Listen to me, I know best. That's what's loving. So it's God's love for you that drives his desire to see you living a holy life. And the, so the Bible, yeah, isn't just a list of rules. People can think, oh, it just tells you, rule number one, don't eat super glue. Rule number two, don't use Luke's toothbrush to clean your toilet and then put it back. That's a good rule, though. I don't know why any of you would go to my house, use my toothbrush to clean my toilet, but hey, don't do it. Anyway, so it's not just a list of rules, it's where we go 
to know God and see what he says about how to live in relationship with him. It shows us why how we live our lives matter. So looking back at verse 1, let's look at these Christians here. So it says, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord, Jesus, to do this more and more. These Christians aren't living perfectly. They obviously have room for improvement, as they're urging them to do this more and more. Yet it says they are living in a way that pleases God. The the, The desire to fight and to live a holy life pleases God. So they're, they're doing some things, but there can be improvements. So as you're going through life and desiring to live more like God, that is pleasing to Him. He knows our weakness and He covers our sin. He is pleased when we succeed through faith and is patient when we fail. And that is very comforting. So know God's patience. Know that all Christians struggle. And let this encourage you, that you are walking in the way that pleases Him. So do so more and more, if that is what you're aiming to do. But if you're anything like me, the ongoing fighting of sin can seem overwhelming at times, because I'm not perfect. But if you think back to last week, the passage actually gives us something really, really helpful. And the fact is that we are not alone in the fight. So just look back to the last verse of chapter 3. It says, May he, talking about Jesus, strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. So it's Jesus who is strengthening our hearts to be blameless and holy before God, which is very comforting. Holiness is the work of Jesus in us. But you absolutely must pray for it. You absolutely must fight for it. But be encouraged by the fact that you're not alone in it. So it's both Jesus and us working together. So we've looked at why. Why does how I live my life matter? Because of our new relationship with God. It pleases Him, it's His will for us, but we're not alone in the fight. And remember, sanctification, how you live, trying to live a holy life, that does not save you, faith in Jesus saves you. So trying to live a holy life doesn't save you, faith in Jesus saves you. But even though faith in Jesus saves you, how you live does matter, it is important. And God's Spirit is at work in us in that fight. So we've seen, number one, that we have a new identity as someone who has been, in the past, sanctified, set apart for God, the moment that we put our trust in Jesus. And we've seen, two, that we have a new relationship as a child of God who lives a life fighting for holiness. So now we're going to look at the new, better way of life that God calls us to as it relates to sexual immorality and lust. And I do want to note that this new, better way of life isn't limited to sexual immorality and lust. It covers everything the Bible tells us about how to live a godly life. But tonight, that's what comes next in the passage, so we'll use that as an example. So now we're going to get into this text, verses 3 to 7. Read with me. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Now this passage can sound a bit intense, 
And in a minute, we will break it down more and see what it's saying to us uh, verse by verse. But I want to let you know this, that God created sex and sexuality, and He created it as a good thing for humans. It's not a wrong thing. He created it. And He alone has the wisdom and the right to show us how to use it for His glory and for our good. So God isn't saying, hey guys, I made sex. Here's like maybe a way you could do it, but you do whatever you want. He's saying, here is how to use the gift of sex. I made it, I know. And that's what the like, heart of human sin can be, that we take a gift from God and then we just go, oh, we know better, we'll use it without you, God. I don't want you, I want your stuff. So let's look into verse 3. Verse 3 starts with, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. And when the Bible says sexual immorality, what it's talking about is two people acting in a way as if they were married when they are not married. Touching each other, sleeping together in a way that God designed for a man and a woman who are married. God says that this close physical relationship is for married people only and we see that back in Genesis 2 when he creates Adam and Eve. But the issue in this text isn't just our behaviours, it's also lust. So if we look at verse, we'll read from verse 4, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. So here we also pick up, yeah, not just our actions, but our thoughts or sexual desires which dominate, dominate your life in a way they shouldn't. Desires that lead to pornography, desires that lead to fantasizing about others, and both of those often lead to masturbation. And if you're caught up in any of those things, what I want to show you from this text is you need to stop. You are not living in a way that matches your identity as God's child. And that's what we're pointing back to. That's, who, that's what our identity is, a child of God. And our world promotes sexual freedom and media tries to tell us that if, if you love someone, you need to sleep with them. But that is not what God says. And in fact, he says that instead of being loving, you are actually wronging and taking advantage of them. And you see that in verse 6. That no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister by acting in that way. There is no honour towards that person. There is no regard to God and His holiness because you are not using sex in the way God designed it, in the way that's best for you and the person you love. And looking at verse 6, like, I, I just get thrown by seeing this. Like, well, not thrown, but look at it. Anyway, it says halfway through, the Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we've told you and warned you. This can be quite serious. God will punish all those who commit such sins. If you turn from God as your Lord and serve the master of sex, sooner or later you will meet God's judgment. If we have sought forgiveness from God and are trusting in Jesus, yes, we are forgiven when we fall. And that's a great comfort. Remember the loving patience our God has. We're trying to hold two things up at the same time. But if you are not desiring to be holy sexually and have stopped fighting, then listen to the warnings that God gives us in this passage. This warning is for Christians too. Be serious about fighting sin. But remember, God is patient. God is gracious. His Spirit is in you, helping you become more holy. And the battle as you fight for holiness pleases Him. Being perfect when it comes to sexual immorality or lust doesn't save you. 
You are not saved by what you do. So take that comfort. But if you stop pursuing holiness, have you truly put your trust in Jesus? And this instruction doesn't come from man. I'm not just, I didn't just write this beforehand and then ship this out to millions of shops around the world. Verse 8 says, Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his spirit. So the same God that has given us his spirit is the one who gives us these instructions. So don't reject him. Looking at verse 7. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. So this is God's calling for your life, to be pure. And some of you already may be living like this, and I say, great. Listen to verse 1, and do this more and more for the rest of your lives, and continue to pursue holiness in every other area of your life. And I know that for some, you do feel guilty when you think about this. You feel unclean. If this is a real struggle for you, it's easy to feel ashamed. But remember, if you are trusting Jesus, you have already been washed clean completely. You have been sanctified and set apart as his beloved child. That is your relationship with him. He sees you as pure and has given you his spirit. And that spirit is at work in you. Have confidence in God's desire for you to be changed more and more. He has patience for your failures and his love doesn't change. Keep trusting him and fighting for holiness. And if you don't yet trust in Jesus, there is no one too far gone. Whatever you have done doesn't discredit you from his love because Jesus has died in your place. So turn to God and find true love and forgiveness. And if that's something you want to talk to someone about tonight, I encourage you, find a leader, find someone. We'd love to talk to you about this more. So we're going to end now with a look at how we can practically be fighting sexual immorality immorality in our lives. And the main way is knowing God. And in verse 5, it tells us, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. There's an assumption that they're living in a way contrary to God because they don't know Him. So when I say we need to know God to help fight this, I don't mean just knowing facts about Him. You could know 10,000 facts about Him, that's not going to help you. You need to know what he's done for you in your heart. Like, know what that means for you. Jesus died for you in your place. You may know that truth, but do you know that in your heart? Meditate on that. Understand what it means. God is the most valuable person in the whole universe. Knowing that and the greatness of having a relationship with him will strip lust of its power. You can defeat the pleasures of lust with the greater pleasure of knowing God and Paul says in Philippians 3.8, which will come on the screen, I consider everything loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For Paul, knowing Jesus and everything that, that he has done for Paul surpasses anything else. He can count anything as a loss by focusing on his relationship with God. So when you're fighting sin, make sure you're doing it by going after God and what Jesus has done for you. Don't forget you have God's Spirit in you. You won't get there alone. Your identity is in your relationship with God. Listen to Him by reading His Word. Speak to Him by praying. Ask Him for help. 
And when it comes to sharing these things, I think as um, Christians we can fall into two different categories. Either we don't share any struggles or any struggles we may have with sexual immorality with anyone. But don't forget that we're surrounded by other Christians, other children of God. So I encourage you, if that's you, share your struggles with safe people like your leader, your G team, talk about it, get help, encouragement, accountability, pray for each other, maybe you need to put in boundaries with your boyfriend, girlfriend, talk about ideas, keep each other accountable, we're in this together. And then the second category is maybe you do share with people, which is great, but do you focus on just being there for each other and sympathising without pushing each other to keep fighting? So it's all right to be there for each other, to sympathise and hear but make sure you're also pushing each other to continue to live holy lives. Um, yeah, point each other to Jesus, take practical steps, and remember God's warning in verse 6. And lastly, my question is, is technology causing you to sin? Right now we have so much access to technology, there's so many ways that we can just be tempted by different thoughts. And if, if, you've, if this is something that does... Um, cause you to struggle, do something about it. Like, seriously, don't just be like, oh, classic phone, always there. Do something, I don't know, delete those apps, chuck it in the water. Maybe don't do that. But maybe get a different phone, I don't know. There's many things you can do. Talk to someone and take practical steps so you're not just going through the same cycles all the time. We have been given a new identity, a new relationship, and we should be living different to the world. Fight sexual sin and keep pursuing holiness. I'm going to pray now. Father, we thank you so much that you have sent your son to pay for a price we never could do. We're sorry that we have in our lives lived in a way that is sinful to you, disregarding you, living as our our own master, doing what we want. But we thank you that we can find forgiveness in Jesus, that through the loving action of your son dying at the cross, We can turn and follow you and it doesn't matter that our record is blemished because we get your son's record. Help us know that our identity now is one who is set aside for you in a new relationship as your sons and as your daughters and help us to live like that. Help us to get to know you more and focus on you as we fight for holiness. Help comfort us when we fall and help us um, spur one another on to continue to live for you the rest of our lives. Amen.